Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's come. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brethren in the land of Seir, the country of Eden, instructed them, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus say your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stay until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in, in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We come to you, brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, O God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I might do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all your faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he might come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, make, you of, make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitudes. The account of Jacob that we have been uh, looking at is a reflection of the life of any man, any woman, who has grown up in a religious home. But they have not made the faith of their parents their own. They, they, they're religious in the sense of, of being a part of a religious family, but the reality of who God is has not reached into their hearts, into their spirit. Now, Isaac, who is Abraham's son and Jacob's father, he was very different. Isaac grasped very early his father's faith. Like Timothy in the New Testament, Isaac, from infancy up, learned the truth about God, and he he walked in that truth most of his life. Jacob, however, was a faker. He was a person who used faith for profit, for personal gain. But something changed on this trip as he left Haran and headed down to go back to his family down in Canaan. When he left his father-in-law, Laban, and his 
uh, brothers-in-law, Rebecca's, or Rachel's brothers, he was still a manipulator. He was still a scoundrel. But sometime on this trip, as Jacob is traveling, he changed from being the grasper that his name represents to being a man of faith. And here in this 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis, we see that transformation take place. Now, kids love the Transformer movies. Watch these machines shifting shapes and changing into all different things. And young adults are transfixed by the the Hulk who changes from the mild-mannered Bruce Banner into this big green monster. But those are movies. Yet behind film stories, there's often a sense of a truth. The reason that those movies come out is because people know that there is something more to life than what they've experienced. Some hope that a monster within us that controls us and drives us to sin can somehow be conquered and we can turn from bad to good. In amazing ways, this transformation has occurred again and again throughout history in the lives of individuals, in the lives of different people, transformed by a God who wonderfully works in the hearts and in the minds of those who are his, just as he does in this story in Exodus 32 with Jacob. It's not enough to consider religion as a solution for life's problems. Jacob and his wife, Rachel, were both religious. They both came from religious families. They both talked about prayer and they talked about God. But it's only now, after having been married for 13 years, 20 years after Jacob has fled from his brother Esau, and gone up and found his wife, Rachel. It is only after Jacob is 40 or more years old that God moves from being a religion to being a personal God. One with whom he can have a relationship. The one true God. And that's what we will see today as we look at Genesis 32. It's an account where Jacob wrestles. He wrestles with himself, he wrestles with his brother, and he wrestles with God. And so our theme from this passage says, only when the faith of our fathers becomes a personal faith Does God receive glory through our lives and we receive the blessings of eternity? The faith of our fathers, the faith of our parents, the faith of our family must be a personal faith, not a national faith, not a a family faith, but a personal relationship with God, the one true God. And only then 
does God get glory through your life, through my life, and only then does eternity become a reality to you and to me. And so as we flip the page from chapter 31 to chapter 32, an event occurs that tells us of the change in the spiritual life of this man, Jacob. We can see then for Jacob that spiritual life begins with seeing two camps. This new view that he has on God and on the spiritual realm happens as he sees these two camps. For the first time, Jacob's eyes are opened, open to the reality of the spiritual realm as being not just something that happens now and then, but is something that is there at all times. Chapter 32 begins with this. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means two camps. Jacob is marching along with his entourage. He is drawing near to his family, and he is going to meet with his brother Esau. Isaac and Rebekah, he doesn't even know if they're still alive. How will he be greeted by them? How will he be greeted by his brother? And in the midst of his contemplations, his eyes are suddenly opened to seeing God's spiritual realm all around him. The angel of the Lord encamping around those who fear him. So I want you to notice that we need our eyes opened if we are going to behold God. You cannot see God simply by being religious. You can't see God by coming to church. You can't see God even by reading the scriptures, as we talked about with the kids last week. Because there are many people that read the Bible that do not see God. The opening verse of this chapter brings about a sudden change from what happened just a few hours earlier when he was with Laban, his father-in-law. There, Jacob had tried to manipulate his way through life. And his luck had run out. Laban, too, had come at Jacob with all of his entourage, with all of his armed men. And he was going to kill off Jacob and take his grandchildren and his, his daughters back up to their home. But God came to Laban in a dream. And God said, Don't touch him. And in the discussions when Laban does catch up to Jacob and they're having that discussion, Laban passes the message on. The only reason you're still alive is because God told me I can't touch you. Laban passes that message on to Jacob. And Jacob begins to realize that God is more than just somebody who shows up here and there. But that God was fulfilling his word and and keeping his word that said that, that God would bless Jacob. So in spite of Jacob, God's grace was being shown. And now, as Jacob is moving towards the 
family down in Canaan. He hears that his brother is coming with an army of 400 at him. And there is great dread with that. But even as he has that great dread, we see a transformation in his character. We read in verse 1, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Are you a Christian today? Many of you would nod your head and you would say, well, yes, of course, I am a Christian. When troubles fall on you, have you ever said, oh, God, if you just give me a sign. Oh, God, if you would just send an angel to talk to me. Most people have. I know I have in my spiritual walk. But I can tell you for certain that you will not see a Michael or a Gabriel or any of the other heavenly beings in your tough times if you have not seen them in your normal times. If you have not seen those angels in the dusty trails as you are traveling on your road to life, if you have not heard the whisper of angel wings, around you in your daily experience, then you will not see God. You will not see the angels just because your life is in a tough situation. When you're driving a car, when you're changing a baby's diaper, when you are trying a court case as a lawyer, when you're fixing a leaky pipe, When you're doing whatever it is you will do on your daily lives, do you know that the camp of God is around you? That the angels of the Lord are with you? The spiritual realm surrounds you. It surrounds me at all times. God is not just concerned with us when we are in a tough time. When some huge obstacle faces us, instead God cares for us at all times. We read in Hebrews 1 about God's use of angels to touch our lives. It says, are not they all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? We are the inheritors of of eternal life, of that salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have inherited the life as heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And in the midst of our lives, we had better come to the reality To know that we, in our physical realm, are also part of that spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul puts it in a beautiful way when he says that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been lifted up into the heavenly places. Oh, our feet are still here on the earth, but our eyes have been opened to see the glory of God around us. 
Two parallel worlds, side by side, overlapping wherever a true Christian lives. So notice as well that we need our eyes open to beseech God. If we are going to pray, pray prayer does not come because we have a need. Everyone in this world faces hardship, and everyone in this world has needs, but everyone in this world does not know what it is to pray, to commune with the God who created them and who has redeemed them. The type of prayer that that the world uses, we hear it often in the name it, claim it type of approach to our to, to uh, faith, is a demanding prayer. God, you must do this for me. God, almost in a command, God, answer my prayer. And that's how Jacob thought about prayer up until this chapter. Here, his eyes are open to behold the spiritual realm, and his prayer life is radically transformed. It is changed. Look at his prayer in verses 9 and 10. He says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. For those of you who have been following along with Jacob, this should be startling to you. Has Jacob ever, ever said that he had nothing? Has he ever said that he is worthless? I mean, just contrast this prayer with the prayer that he offered 20 years earlier in chapter 28. There, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. Did you get that? God, if you'll do this, 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 this for me, then I'll worship you. What a change has come over him. Jacob, in 20 years earlier, he's bargaining with God. And up until 20 hours earlier, he was still bargaining with God. He saw himself as being valuable to God. God, you need me to worship you, so do these things for me and then I'll follow you. You can be my God. But chapter 32 we see a radical change. He knows he has nothing to offer. God, I'm worthless. I had nothing. I am nothing. God, if you're going to act on my behalf, it's going to be simply out of your grace and mercy. Not because of anything that I have or ever will do. For the first time in his life, this man has understood that God is God and he is not. He's glanced beyond the pale and he has seen the spiritual realm surrounding him and it has humbled him. It has broken him. 
He is overawed by what he has seen. And my friends, that's what we need to do. We need to see the spiritual realm with the eyes of our heart. We need to know that in our highs, in our lows, in everything in between, that if we are in Christ, then we are in the realm of the Spirit. And all around us is the presence of a holy God and the holy servants of God touching us, ministering on our behalf, not because we are worthy, but because He is worthy. But at some point, the realities of this life are going to come at us. They're going to crash in on us, and they are going to threaten to overwhelm us. It happens in everyone's life. In everyone's life, there is a time when Esau and his 400 come rushing at you. Leukemia, dementia, diabetes, family troubles, death in the family, some kind of suffering. And it hits you like a tidal wave. If you've not seen the two camps of the spiritual realm surrounding you, In your normal life, you'll fail to understand how God is going to help you in those times of your life. And so, for Jacob, spiritual life begins with seeing two brothers. You see, it's not that Jacob just saw his brother as a threatening man coming at him with his 400, because if that's what Jacob had seen, Jacob would have done what he had done for all the rest of his life. He would have fled. He would have run away. You see, Jacob didn't have to tell Esau that he was coming. If you're familiar with the land of the Middle East, Jacob is all the way up in Haran, which is up in Turkey, the southern part of Turkey, if you know the country today. He is traveling from the southern country of Turkey down to the middle of, of what today is Israel. Esau is all the way down here, almost down to Mount Sinai. He's down in Edom, down below the Dead Sea. Jacob had no reason to tell Esau that he was coming but he's had a change of heart. And so we'll see how that works out. But but here his brother is coming at him with 400 strong. Jacob sees Esau in light of the spiritual transformation that has taken place within him and seeing the spiritual camp of the Lord surrounding him. And he's able to pray in verses 11 and 12 with confidence. God, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. That's in my flesh, I fear him. But look at this next verse. But you said, 
I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What has he done? Jacob is no longer a manipulator. He is simply saying, God, you made a promise, and I have learned that I can rest in that promise. And Jacob comes and wipes out my family, and he wipes out you know, my wife and my kids, and, and he wipes me out. God, your word would not be held true. So I trust you. Even though my body fears, even though I have a panic attack at this moment, I know that you're God, that you have made a promise, and that you will keep that promise. How great a difference between Jacob's meeting with Laban when he tried to talk his way out of things. And now, as he is met with God's angels and is preparing to meet with Esau. Notice then that we need our eyes opened to believe God. You see, religion doesn't open our eyes. Religion doesn't help us to see God. Only God can do that. Only God can open up the spiritual eyes of our heart to know him and to see him. Throughout his life, Jacob has sought to outsmart all of his opponents, to manipulate them. But now his approach has changed. Esau is on his way with those 400 men And what does Jacob do? He doesn't try to outsmart his brother. Instead, he sends a gift to his brother. Do you know how radical approach that is for a man who his name is Grasper? I want to hold on to everything. To freely give away his wealth is an amazing miracle in the change of this man's heart. How powerful the spiritual transformation that has changed the perspective of this once selfish cheat. Generosity has never been a part of his character. Faith has changed him. Look at verse 20. It says, For he thought, this is Jacob, that I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I'll see his face. Perhaps he'll accept me. Now, there are two things in this verse that tell us that he is not sending Esau a bribe. Here, take this and leave us alone. He's not doing that. The first one is the word present. This is a gift. This is is not a bargaining chip that he is sending. He is sending a present to his brother. It isn't Christmas time, but he is being very, very generous. There are no strings attached. God has blessed Jacob, and he is willingly blessing his brother, though his brother once desired his death. Is he only seeing God, only knowing that there is truly a realm of the Spirit, can make that kind of a change in the heart of a person. Only the power of God that opens our eyes to see that it is not this world that is so significant, but it is that greater world that allows us to let loose 
of the things of this world. To let them go freely. When Jacob fled from Esau 20 years earlier, Jacob had seen what we call Jacob's ladder, where the angels were ascending and descending. And Jacob called that place Bethel. This is nothing other than the house of God, which is what Bethel means. Instead, Jacob has now seen the camp of God. Well, what's the difference? Well, Bethel is a place. God, you are there. It's a religious place. It's a church. It's a a temple. It's a holy place. But I can leave that holy place. I can go someplace else and, and, and then just come back to that holy place now and then. But that one is the camp of God. Because the camp of God moves wherever I am camp. Wherever I am, the camp of God is there. Jacob has had a a change of view. He sees the camp of God overlapping his own camp, a spiritual realm, always present wherever he goes. The truth is, God is always with us. His world is always surrounding us. Jacob doesn't have to cling to the possessions of the world anymore because he has seen greater glory than the things of this life. He can give away that gift because he sees God and the gift of knowing God. But also notice that we need our eyes open to bestow God, to give God away. I said there were two things in that verse, that in verse 20, that told us about the change that took place in Jacob. The first is that he sent a present, a gift. But the second one is even more significant. It is his desire for a restoration with his brother. This is the brother that wanted to kill him. This is the brother that he cheated out of a blessing, cheated out of, out of his birthright. These guys were not friends. And now he wants to restore that friendship, to, to restore a relationship with his brother. The gift is sent not to protect his life. But look at what verse 20 says. That afterward, I might see his face. Perhaps he'll accept me. Now remember, he didn't have to have told Esau that he was coming. Esau is close to 60 to 100 miles away from where Isaac and Rebekah live. But as his heart is changed, he realizes that he has to change the relationships with the people that he knows. He needs to deal with his past anger and bitterness and resentment. And so now, as his heart is being changed by his understanding of God and bringing that humility to him, He now begins to see relationships with people in a different way. Jacob is humbling himself. He is admitting to his brother, I was wrong in taking from you your birthright and taking from you your blessing. I was wrong in manipulating, in doing what I did. And so we understand his words to his brothers in verse 17 and 18. 
He instructed the first. This is the, the group that's going out with the present. When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your, to your what? To your servant. To your, Jacob? Did he ever consider himself a servant? To your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord, Esau. Why would that be? Because he's acknowledging you're the older brother and I'm the younger brother. He is undoing what he did 20 years earlier. And moreover, he is behind us. Esau accepts the gifts. But in doing so, he's also accepting the apology. And at the end of this chapter, when those two brothers get together, they're hugging and they're kissing. The relationship has been restored. But there is an even more significant aspect. In sending the gifts, Jacob is also sending God's blessing. God has blessed me, and I want to bless you as I have been blessed. He is letting Esau know that God has honored him, but he's not grasping it as he used to. No, as God has blessed me, I want others to be blessed. And Esau, by accepting the gifts, acknowledges Jacob's right to the birthright and to the blessing. You see, the the effect of the transformation in Esau transforms, or in Jacob, transforms Esau's view of the world. And that's the way the church should be. As we enact for the glory of God, then God works in others and changes them. And yet even with Jacob seeing the angels, even with his humility, even with the giving of gifts, Jacob is still not a perfect man. He's a long way from being a holy man of God. He still ends up putting everyone in front of him so that if Jacob wants to take all of them, he still has a chance to escape. He isn't perfected at this point. Even if he escapes with just the clothes on his back as he did 20 years earlier, he could start all over. Jacob still needs to learn another lesson. That spiritual life begins with seeing two wrestlers. The description of the wrestling match at the end of this chapter between these two individuals, Jacob and his unknown assailant, makes professional wrestling seem like a flag football game. All night and into the early morning, these two combatants are going at it. Neither one able to gain control over the other. All night long. Look at verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. For Jacob to walk with God, Jacob must first be crippled. Notice that we need our eyes open to battle God. Have you ever wrestled with God? Almost every serious Christian at some time has gone through a wrestling match with God as Jacob did. 
The older Christian writers called it the dark night of the soul. Time when they just struggled with God. Jacob experienced it in that awful battle. In the end, he loses while gaining. Verse 30 states, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Most Christians are content with experiencing God from a distance. Few have had the audacity to grapple with the Lord of the universe, to take hold of him who has taken hold of you. And yet, unless you wrestle with God, you will remain Jacob, a manipulator, a grasper, one trying to protect your own self. You will still let your sinful selfishness control too much of your life. But notice that we need our eyes opened also to be blessed by God. For in that dark night, as Jacob wrestled with this unknown assailant, there was no victor throughout the night. But dawn came, and with that dawn, there came understanding. Jacob no longer sought to conquer his opponent. Instead, he clung to him, even to his own hurt, to the place where the man touched his hip and threw it out of its socket. Jacob cried out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Oh, all night long he had been wrestling with this individual, trying to conquer him. But now he wants to just hold him and say, please, you are the victor. You are the master. Bless me. Bless me. He needed God's blessing. His father Isaac's blessing he thought was enough, but it wasn't. He needed God's blessing on his life. And so his opponent asked in verses 27 to 29, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, Jacob. He's giving his name. I am supplanter. I am grasper. I am manipulator. That's my name. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Striver with God. For you have striven with God and men, and you've prevailed. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Jacob, you should know who I am. You should know who I am by now. Remember Thomas and the others, Jesus in the upper room. As I said, show us the Father, and that would suffice us. And Jesus' response, but you know the Father because you know me. You don't need my name because you have known me. I have been the one who's been with you all along. You need not ask my name. You know who I am, and I alone have the right to bless you. And that's the way it is, my friends. Have you seen the two camps? Have you seen the presence of God around you at all times, in all places, good, bad, 
normal? Have you wrestled with your brother? With the people in your life that you feel have hurt you or perhaps have hurt you? Have you let that go? Because you've seen something far greater? Have you let go of the the grasping of the material things of this world? said, God, I don't need those things because I have you and you have me. Have you wrestled with God? Struggled, which is really a struggle with yourself. To let go of who you are and say, God, I am not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant so that the Father can then put the ring on your finger, clean you up, dress you in the robes of the Son, and send you forth. Only through Jesus Christ is that made possible for us. But what a glorious transformation when it happens. And so in conclusion, is your spiritual life still dependent on you or on your parents' faith, on your manipulations, on your demands of God, or, well, I'm a Christian because my parents were Christians. I go to church because it's expected of me and my family. Oh, I hope that you have a Genesis 32 experience, a transformation that allows you to see that God wants a relationship with you that goes far beyond that. Have you seen the truth? And like Jacob, receive God's eternal blessing on your life. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to the communion meal in a moment. There is no magic in this. There is no super spiritual thing that happens because we will eat the bread or drink the cup. But there is far more significant things than that in our life. That is that as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. The death he died in our place. And the promise that because of what he has done, the door to a relationship with God has been opened. The veil has been torn asunder and we can come into your presence as our Father, our eternal Father. We bow before you in this place, admitting that we have nothing to offer you other than You have made a promise, O God, that through faith in Jesus Christ, you would give us new life. And that's our hope. That's our satisfaction. That's our life. We bow before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Since it's so late, we're going to um, bypass the, uh, the song so that we can partake of the communion meal.
The Apostle Paul gathered with uh, the, the brothers and sisters that had come to him from Corinth that had shared with him problems and issues in Corinth. There were a whole lot of Jacobs in Corinth. A whole lot of people that were very self-centered and self-focused. And in all of that, as Paul gathered with them and wrote this letter for them to take back to the church in Corinth, his sole desire was that they would not be religious, but they would understand the relationship that they could have through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we have the communion meal. Because it constantly, as baptism reminds us that we can only once be changed from death to life, the communion meal reminds us that we die daily as we walk by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Only once can we have the new birth, but the new life is ongoing. And so as Paul shares with these very broken Corinthians in this letter, he speaks to them to remind them of this new life. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. So the warning here is, do you have a right relationship with God? Do you know him? Or are you still with Jacob? Still using religion as a means to kind of get someplace. Hope that everything is is good in your life. But you have never seen God. You haven't experienced the new life that comes through him. Paul says, we have to examine ourselves. And in examining ourselves... If we can say, by the grace of God alone, through the death of Jesus Christ alone, I can stand in the presence of God. Not because of anything that I've done. Then we can partake of this meal and we can rejoice in it. Because Christ's death has become our death. So his resurrection has become our resurrection. And so we come to this meal. As those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you were here today, and you're still with Jacob before chapter 32, you're still with Jacob out there, you know, kind of manipulating your life and hoping everything goes well. Maybe God's on my side. I hope he's on my side. But you don't know him. Well, today can be your chapter 32. Today can be the day that you ask God to open your eyes to see the reality of the spiritual realm, to transform your heart and to change you.
Father, speak to our hearts today. You know each heart. You know each mind. You know each spirit. For those who are yours, affirm to them by the Holy Spirit through this communion meal that they truly have become your child. But for those who may be here today that are still like Jacob, still seeing religion as just a means of of getting something that they need, open up their eyes today and let them see the angels of God all around them, the reality of the spiritual realm, that they might turn and be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.